It is Monday the 14th of October, I'm your host Ryan Kia and this is the Quantium Cast. As we carry on from the previous episode, today we're going to be talking about economies of scale and long run average cost. And if we get some time, we'll move on to diseconomies of scale. If not, that will be the subject of tomorrow's episode. And then eventually, once we've gathered more data, we'll get back into our historical investment return series alongside the asset allocation topic that is ongoing at the moment. So first, in order to understand economies of scale, we need to first hold this basic assumption that in the long run, all factors of production are variable. This has an effect on costs as output changes. So to start with, costs fall when you're producing. Assume you're a firm, or let's just think of it as a market, right? A market is producing a certain amount of output. And as they do, say an individual firm inside that market has costs falling as that output increases. So basically, if costs fall when output increases, economies of scale is said to exist. So we could give an example. If a firm quadruples their output from 10 million units of production to 40 million units of production, and at the same time, costs, total costs that is, only increase from 10 million to 20 million pounds, then the average cost of production subsequently falls from one pound per unit to 50 pence per unit. The way we can calculate this, total production costs of 10 million pounds for 10 million units, but then it becomes 20 million pounds for 40 million units. You simply do 10 over 10 in the first case and 20 million pounds worth of costs over 40 million units. And then you get a one pound production cost per unit falling to 50 pence per unit. That is as a result of economies of scale. Economists from studying real life examples have actually found that firms do experience economies of scale in the modern world. And as firms expand in size and output, the long run average costs tend to fall. But at some point, firms will actually become too large at the point where the average costs will actually begin to rise. And these are actually said to be experiencing diseconomies of scale. So let's give an example. If a firm doubled their output from say, let's just say 100 units to 200 units, and their costs were at 100 pounds total costs, and let's just say that their costs quadrupled, then what happens is their average costs of production would actually be double. So that wouldn't be economies of scale, it wouldn't be constant returns of scale, which is basically a flatlining, no change in costs, despite production being upped. But then that would actually be diseconomies of scale, where because you are large and you're producing so much, you're actually experiencing an increase in your average costs, or more so your long run average costs, of which is quite important here. So we talked now about diseconomies of scale. We should probably talk about something called productive efficiency. The easiest way to explain this is by using the term optimum level of production. Productive efficiency itself is said to exist when production takes place at the lowest average cost. So let's say the long run average cost curve is U-shaped. That's what we need to remember because you have economies of scale as the curve runs down and constant returns to scale as you get a flatlining level and then diseconomies of scale as your cost of production start to increase. 
So the output range over which average costs are at a minimum is said to be the optimal level of production. So let's just say you have that flat lining point, which is your bottom level, your uh, optimal level of production. You have to quote from say, imagine a dotted line from the start of where you see constant returns of scale. And then you go all the way down to the horizontal axis and you write an A. Then when the constant return to scale ends, but you're still flatlining, you draw another dotted line down and you label that as B on the horizontal axis. That difference or that range, you could say B minus A, will give you the optimal level of production and you'll be able to use a range right there. So the output level at which lowest cost production starts is called the minimum efficient scale. So at point A, as we just mentioned earlier, you'd get the MES, the minimum efficient scale of production. So as we just talked about, point A. And if a firm is producing to the left of the MES, then the long run average cost will be higher. To the right, they will either be the same if they are constant returns to scale, as we mentioned, the flat line area, the horizontal kind of part of the average cost curve. And uh, they could either be that or they could be increasing. If they're increasing, you're experiencing diseconomies of scale. There are also different types of economies of scale. One is technical economies that could regard either economies of scale or diseconomies of scale. And it can exist because of increasing and decreasing returns to scale. These economies and diseconomies, as we've just mentioned, are known as technical economies. They arise from what happens in the production process. So let's give an example. Many firms find the need to get some equipment, right? But they are unable to actually make the maximum use of it. A small builder may use a cement mixer on average only three times a week. But if he were able to take on more work, then he might be able to use it five days a week. The total cost of the cement mixer is the same whether or not it is used for three days or five days a week. Obviously, if we don't take depreciation into account, but the average cost per job will be done at a lower level the more it is used. Now, this is an example of indivisibility. So the larger the level of output, the less likely that indivisibilities will occur. The most popular and also logical way actually of understanding technical economies arises because larger plant size is often more productively efficient. If you have an oil tanker, let's use an example of an area that we talk about quite a bit, the energy sector. So an oil tanker, let's just say it's a cylinder because it essentially is one and you double the surface area of the tanker you're actually doubling the approximate cost of construction, that's fair. And it also leads to an approximately threefold increase in its carrying capacity. It's generally cheaper to generate electricity in larger power stations than in small ones. So let's just say the average cost of production of say even a car plant, making 50,000 cars in a year will be less than that of one making 5,000 cars in a year, which is much better. That is an example of technical economies of scale because your equipment is helping you reduce your long-term average cost. So we can say so far it's been assumed that unit costs are actually constant. However, unit costs may actually change as a firm changes in size. So other factors apart from technical economies can actually lead to economies and diseconomies of scale. 
We could give an example. Managerial economics, that's another area. Or, sorry, managerial economies of scale. <laughs> I mustn't get mixed up with the wonderful subject that is managerial economics. But okay, for managerial economies of scale, specialization is an important source of greater efficiency. In a small firm, the owner might be a part-time salesman, an accountant, a receptionist, and a manager. Now, employing specialist staff is likely to lead to greater efficiencies in a work processes and therefore lower costs let's just think of it in a business perspective if you're running your own business let's say you're running say for example the quantum research retail store and you are currently doing all the tasks involved yourself so you don't have any employees but you think about it you sit down and realize that you might actually make more profits through higher production from more efficient work practices by employing other people and specializing, giving people the roles that they are suited to. And you'll be able to focus on say, managing the business and also managing your employees, seeing what it looks like from the outside. Because a lot of us, when we do it ourselves, we assume that we are perfect in our work practices, but it's more so the other end of that, in fact. We should also note that one reason why small firms don't actually employ staff is because staff often represent indivisibilities. And to use a brief definition for indivisibilities, we could say it here. Production methods that incur high fixed costs in order to produce the first unit of goods may not be divisible below the economies of scale. They need to achieve in order to produce the goods, which would make those methods unavailable to smaller producers. Let's say commodities. Some commodities may be indivisible if their minimum size or quantity makes them unavailable to consumers. So small firms at times may not employ staff, but large firms, on the other hand, would obviously love to employ additional members of staff to increase the efficiency of production and thus increase their profits. If you're an economist, Let's talk about nominal profits in this case, or just normal profits, accounting profit. But still, a lot of firms would love to have a positive opportunity cost too and make super normal profits. But we'll talk about those on another occasion. There's one area we can look at now and then we'll continue the rest tomorrow. This is purchasing and marketing economies of scale. So the best way we can explain this is the larger a firm is the more likely they are able to purchase raw materials in bulk. Bulk buying often enables these firms to secure lower prices for the factor inputs, as we talked about in episode 28, I believe, about making money from eBay stores and e-commerce. If you buy in bulk, you're able to get lower prices and you're able to individually sell them on to make decent returns. So let's look at it this way. They're trying to get lower prices for these factor inputs such as land, labor, capital and enterprise. Labor is quite difficult in countries like the UK because there is a minimum wage. But in competitive areas, it is possible to get lower costs because, you know, some people could be taking 20, 30 pounds an hour or really high salaries that would probably equate to somewhere around there. It would be easier to just simply reduce that by just setting something as a bid saying you know what we need someone to work this role and we are offering this wage it could be lower than other competitors but quite a lot of people are looking for work so they might get that done 
let's think of it in countries like China, you have the lowest level of production costs. In terms of global comparison, it is one of the lowest, in fact, not the lowest, but quite a cheap option. Obviously, wages are rising in China, but we have to note that still, if you want to, say, have a factory there, it would be more cost efficient to have it there than it is to have it, say, in the UK, in my home country here. But large firms, we must note, are also able to enjoy lower average costs from their marketing operations. So let's just think of it this way. The cost of a sales force selling 40 different lines of merchandise is very much the same as one selling 35 lines. But a 30-second TV advert or commercial for a product which has sales of 10 million pounds per annum costs the same as a 30-second TV commercial for one of which has sales of only 5 million per annum. So by paying the same, the larger firm is effectively reducing their average costs of marketing if we spread it out across their revenue. Let's think of it this way. If I have a 30 second TV ad that I want to secure and I'm having a bid on it, say, and somebody else in another country is paying the same, or not even another country, let's just say, someone from the north is trying to secure a 30 second ad somewhere else they are going to pay likely the same price. But say if my revenue is much lower than theirs, I am paying a higher average cost across my sales or a higher average proportion of my sales. Say if I pay, I don't know, let's talk in US terms, the NFL, or not even the NFL, what's it called? The um, Super Bowl, that's it. The Super Bowl, say it costs a million pounds. Let's just convert to pounds for the sake of comparison, a million pounds to secure a 30 second ad. So let's just say my business has, I don't know, a million in sales. So I'm paying a million for what could potentially return much more, but I'm paying a million and my revenue is a million. But then let's say a business that uh, is much larger is on say 10 million pounds worth of revenue, right? Let's just say on a yearly basis, put the same for me, right? They wouldn't be taking that much risk, I would be. They would have marketing economies of scale because they're large, they can spread out a lower average cost in comparison to their units, so on the production. But for us, we're taking a huge risk in taking this advertise and trying to bid the one million pounds for it, whereas those guys paying one million with 10 million worth of revenue, and we've only got one million worth of revenue, they aren't taking that much risk, and they have, therefore, marketing economies of scale. Before we get to diseconomies of scale tomorrow, the final area that we'll cover now is financial economies of scale. So the easiest way to put it here is small firms often find it difficult and also expensive to raise finance for new investments. So when loans are given, small firms are charged at relatively high rates of interest because banks know that small firms are more at risk from default and bankruptcy. But if we look at large firms, they have a lot of credit facilities available to them. Why? Because they're large and somewhat established. It doesn't even matter if the business isn't that liquid. A lot of the times they can raise at better rates than small businesses. So let's give an example. We've covered a lot of small cap companies in recent weeks. And a lot of these small companies have to place in open markets or take out horrible dilutive convertible loan note financing deals, those that destroy shareholder value and effectively leave nothing for investors. 
in a way that you have the same market cap, but for some reason, your share price is 99 odd percent lower. That's brutal, or 90 odd percent. Really doesn't matter, it's just zero value being left for shareholders, we'll just assume if we round everything down. But um, those companies can't raise because they aren't large enough. A lot of large companies, we could give an example, say Imperial Brands, Imperial Brands is huge. If they wanted to raise some money, they'd probably just borrow or in the worst case scenario, they would have a rights issue before going bankrupt. But these small cap companies sometimes aren't even in the capacity to borrow. And if they don't borrow, well, it's lights out and uh, another delisting comes in the pipeline. But what we have to look at is every single method mentioned in this episode, technical economies, marketing economies, managerial economies, purchasing economies of scale, and financial economies of scale, all act to reduce long-run average costs. And if you can reduce your long-run average costs of production, then you will likely be increasing your profits. And theoretically speaking, from an economist's point of view, if you can be producing at your minimum efficient scale, you know that that's where your lowest cost of production begins. But if you can produce in the range of, as we mentioned, the A to B point earlier, where you can get that horizontal line, the constant returns to scale. You can get production at a decent range for the lowest optimal cost. So imagine a curve going down like a U. The left half of the U, if we split the U into halves, right, we can see that the left part is coming down, but then there's another bit that goes horizontal before the curve starts to go upwards. Well, that part of the curve, the horizontal bit, is where you have constant returns to scale. So you're able to produce a lot of output at the lowest level of cost, the lowest long run average cost, to be frank. And when the cost starts to increase, you get something called diseconomies of scale, which we'll talk about tomorrow as we briefly touched upon earlier in this episode. But I've been your host, Ryan Keir, if you haven't already, make sure that you sign up on our website for more financial content at quantumresearch.co.uk. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at QuantumCast, and I hope you all have a wonderful day. I've been your host, Ryan Keir. Until next time.